1: we start with the bc liberal party leadership contest going down to the wire here the bc liberals set to elect a new leader this saturday will kevin falcon emerge victorious the former bc finance minister here he's been an odds-on favorite to win the job from the start his campaign has been bragging they signed up the most members so he is the betting favorite going into the weekend but Things getting messy here near the finish line. We got a lawsuit in court today. Today at BC Supreme Court, a party member asking the court to step in here, stop this leadership process here out of over allegations of fraudulent party membership signups. Meanwhile, liberal leadership candidate Val Litwin tweeting on social media that if Falcon wins this job, He will leave the B.C. Liberals because this will signal it is business as usual and not renewal for this party. Val Litwin joins me now, the former CEO of the B.C. Chamber of Commerce, now running for the B.C. Liberal leadership. Val, thanks a lot for coming on today.
0: Thanks for having me on, Mike. Great to uh, be here.
1: You bet. It's great to have you here. Your tweet got a lot of attention here to say the least here in the dying days of this campaign. Why do you feel this way about Falcon, that if he wins this weekend, you're going to quit the Liberals?
0: Yeah, I get it. Hey, It was a, it was a big tweet, Mike. But I got into this race to beat the NDP in 2024. But first, this party needs to defeat the past. What yeah. is this BC Liberal leadership race about? It's about renewal. But I would say true political and brand renewal so mike i want this party to succeed i want the coalition to succeed i want our province to succeed but how do we do that by showing that this party has renewed that it's opened up and that it deserves to lead the province again so my my tweet was a big one but it is it has been completely consistent with my message since day one that what got the liberal party the bc liberal party to here it's not going to take us into the future and we need to win over a whole new generation of voters. We need to can, convince the wider public that they can find a political home with us.
1: Can this party survive with Kevin Falcon as the leader? And I take your point there about you need to renew. You need to show a fresh face to the public. And a lot of people will point to this guy as old school, kind of Gordon Campbell's former right hand man from uh, the previous Liberal governments, like if he does emerge as the leader of the party here, what do you think happens to this party? I mean, you're saying you're willing to walk. Are other people willing to do Could this party fall apart?
0: Look, I, I take nothing away from Kevin Falcon's incredible political talents, his experience. Look, he's been there and he's done the job. I get it. But what is going to win for this party in 2024 if we show that we have our house in order and that we're operating like a modern organization? We need transparency. We need accountability. And I think the next generation of voters, they're looking for true leadership. What, what they're seeing, <clears throat> pardon me, coming out of the B.C. Liberal Party looks like the old political playbook.
1: Yeah. OK, so if, you, if he does win and you quit the Liberals, then which party are you going to support? I mean, you're a former head of the Chamber of Commerce. I know you want to see a free enterprise party back in, in, in power here in British Columbia. I mean, what other party is there other than the Liberal Party? Who are you going to vote for?
0: My commitment, my sole focus for over a year now, Mike, and remember, I, I, I kissed my job goodbye. I said goodbye to my paycheck. I've given up a year of my life. My two commitments here are to win this race and to renew yeah. this party. And so that is my sole and obsessive focus right now. But look, we have to understand that it is time to turn the page for this party. And and for me, Mike, I've been saying this all the way along. Look, I, for me, renewal is not revolution. This party is full of experienced, smart, committed people, but we need to turn the page. We need to embrace what's come next.
1: Okay, well, if your passion is renewing the Liberal Party, how are you going to do that if you quit the party, if this guy wins?
0: So, hey, let's remember this, Mike. This is a very important point. In the first debate, Kevin Falcon said if he doesn't win, he will not run as an MLA I'm just saying I don't see a role for myself in renewal under a Kevin Falcon, a B.C. liberal-led government. If any other candidate wins, I'm in. I'm in. Kevin Falcon has said the exact opposite. If he doesn't get the crown, he's he's not running as an MLA. So I am committed, but I, I appreciate and understand that what will get us over the line in 2024 is not going to be the old backroom deals, the old playbook, and the old way of doing politics, we need to open up, we need to be transparent, we need to be accountable.
1: I'm speaking to Val Litwin, former CEO of the B.C. Chamber of Commerce. He's running to win the B.C. Liberal Party leadership this weekend. Uh, are you alone here in saying committing to quit the Liberal Party if Falcon wins here? Are any of your other fellow leadership candidates telling you the same thing? Are you hearing from party members and supporters saying, oh, wow, if Falcon wins here, I'm out of here? Or is it just you or are there are others?
0: So, Mike, when we sent out that tweet two days ago, we literally got hundreds of emails, phone calls, texts, DMs from around the province. And this is not about um, people not thinking Kevin is talented and capable and experienced. It's that people appreciate it is time to say yes to what comes next. It's time to become the party that can compete in in this world that is so different now. The old BC Liberal formula... That worked for 16 years it is not relevant anymore you, we're going to take some of. yeah
1: yeah do you think that if falcon wins this job he, he cannot defeat the ndp is, is that your concern that he'll just be too old school
0: I, I don't believe that culture that playbook will beat the ndp in 2024
1: yeah yeah so what do you think how would you describe a falcon leadership then here what a gift for the ndp It just keeps them in power yeah
0: I, I listen i i think again uh, i take nothing away from his political talents i just don't think that is what um is going to bring in a new generation of voters into this party mike and uh look people are talking about all the stories that have been coming out during this race six out of seven campaigns have spoken out about the volume of non-compliant memberships and it's now is appearing to culminate maybe in a court case one campaign doesn't seem to even care i mean falcon on uh, the cbc this morning saying he hasn't even given five minutes thought to that these are the brand signals mike that are really troubling to send out into the public right now
1: well let me play a clip here for you from kevin falcon on an earlier appearance on the show here i asked him about these allegations of fraudulent membership signups by his campaign and here's what he had to say to me and then i'll get your thoughts
2: what's important to understand is you know when these uh, le- this letter was written by the other campaigns most of them not all of them uh to the party uh suggesting that they had concerns the party did write back to all of us and made it very clear there's absolutely i'm quoting now absolutely no evidence of any impropriety
1: okay is, so he says the party is saying there's no problems is he right
0: so this is why we've sent our letters into uh, the Liberal Party and why the other campaigns have as well. I'm casting no aspersions here, Mike. We need evidence. We need to investigate and take a close look. But okay. what is troubling, Mike, is the volume of non-compliant members here. I mean, we're not talking two or three we're, we're thousand. It was reported in business in Vancouver just last week. We're talking maybe in, a, in excess of over 10,000 non-compliant members. So, this is, this for me goes back to what signals are we sending the public? What does it take to win in 2024? We need accountability. We need transparency. And all the organizations, Mike, I have led in my career and I built them from scratch and I, I turned them, uh, taken old organizations and and pivoted them into new competitive organizations is it takes a clear culture of accountability and transparency to win brand trust in the marketplace.
1: Okay, good luck this weekend, and thank you for coming on to talk about it today. appreciate it. Really appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. Okay, here we go now with the latest surge in violence and vandalism on the streets of Vancouver. We talked on about this on the show earlier this week, the sharp increase in violent theft and shoplifting, thieves becoming more brazen, more dangerous. We talked about the senseless vandalism in Vancouver also on the rise. You see this everywhere, downtown, the West End, the epidemic of broken windows now check out the latest development here buses under attack what is the point of this an epidemic of buses being attacked bus windows being broken have a listen to this report from global bc reporter Imadagahi.
3: where do you start in an investigation with so many unknowns
2: at this point we don't have a lot we don't know who it is we don't know what it is we don't have any physical evidence available to us that would be able to answer that question we simply just don't know at this point
3: the question asked what is causing this it's happened to at least 26 buses traveling through a busy section of the downtown east side within the last few weeks
2: investigators believe someone may be launching projectiles at the buses as they travel along
3: east hastings street Again, 26 times in two weeks this has happened, in an area that spans only a few city blocks with plenty of people around 24-7.
2: Whatever's being used, a rock or, as you said, a a pellet gun or even a slingshot perhaps, is not actually coming into the bus. Which has prevented injury so far. That is a huge safety concern for our members who drive a big piece of metal and for our passengers
1: okay let's discuss now with my guest john clarides owner of the marquee wine cellar on Davy street his store has been targeted for theft in the past and he's a very outspoken community member on the trends we're seeing in the city i'm pleased to welcome him back hey john mike right,
4: good morning thanks for having
1: me Th- thanks a lot for coming on i mean john you've seen a lot of stuff out on the on the streets of the city you've seen the violence the mayhem the vandalism you documented extensively on Twitter and elsewhere on social media. Is this a new one now? Like going, going after bus, what kind of knucklehead it just goes out to, to just break bus windows? I don't get this one.
4: Well, this is just, just to let you know, I was told about this 10 days ago and I posted it on Twitter and TransLink was very quiet. And now they're coming out about it. They, they knew about the, these things had actually been happening, who, longer and they just come out about it probably due to what i had put out on social media they tried to i think they tried to keep it quiet i can't say for sure but okay. interesting that they're coming about it now what's going on um lack of policing uh mm. i don't think there's the the support the police get and uh people aren't you know people aren't reporting uh crimes um mayor says crime is down that's not true just on my street alone my veterinary clinic was had their front window broken the subway and the little Davy tanning for the fourth time in about four months
1: yeah is and a lot of this is a lot of this this kind of violence and vandalism I mean is it just sort of senseless like broken windows you document those extensively and sometimes when I see you know in some days you'll you'll post three or four new broken windows on your street I'm just wondering like are those all related to attempted break-ins, or do people just break stuff for the hell of it? Like, do people just break a bus window because they can or they want to?
4: Both, both. The yeah. the canning studio, I saw, I saw the video. The guy had a glass cutter.
1: Yeah. Cut
4: the glass, put it in, had his mask around his chin. I have a picture of it. I think I posted it on Twitter. I'll post it again for people to take a look at it. And uh, stole about $2,000 worth of merchandise. I mean, you know, this is a small business that... You know, he's barely making a go of it. And, um, you know, we, we have a mayor that says, you Vancouver's really safe. I mean, if he came out and said, I recognize the problem, we're going to work with the police, that would really put a lot of people at ease. But people know what's going on. They're not stupid. And uh, he says the exact opposite because he's in election mode. Pretty, pretty depressing.
1: Okay. We see some of the break-ins getting more brazen, more sophisticated. Like we've seen videos of people using glass cutters and going in a very organized fashion, ripping off stores, breaking into stores. We also see a rise in violent theft, violent shoplifting. I talked to Sergeant Steve Addison from the Vancouver police department about that on the show earlier this week. Let me play a clip here for him from him, John, and get your thoughts. Sergeant Steve Addison from the VPD. Uh, we're particularly concerned not just with shoplifting, but with uh, what we're seeing, uh, what appears
0: anecdotally at least, to be a rise in uh, violent cases. So shoplifters who are, de- you know, de- whether it's deploying bear spray uh, in a store or pulling out a knife to get away when they're confronted uh, or using some sort of physical force uh, to get away when they're confronted.
1: Sergeant Steve Addison on the show earlier this week, describing some of the violent thefts and shoplifting incidents we've seen in the city. A lot of them on Davy Street, where your where your store is located, John. And, you know, often we hear about people who go in, they're ripping stuff off just brazenly in front of staff. And when staff confronts them, well, guess what? Then they pull a knife or a box cutter. We've heard about that this week. Your thoughts?
4: Yeah, Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. You know, I've instructed my staff, obviously, not to... Uh, go after them it's not worth it for a 20 or 30 dollar bottle of wine but this is new it seems that vancouver has become a destination place for people who want to commit crime and uh not have any ramifications and we need to prosecute these people uh and uh and and make sure our citizens are safe and that just doesn't seem to be happening and it's pretty frustrating from merchant's point of view. And, you know, the more this goes on, um, the less people want to operate a business in Vancouver. And when you have the death of an inner city, that is a big, big problem, as we've seen, you know, cities like Detroit, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, Minnesota. Um, In fact, on the news this morning at about 6.30, 7 o'clock, the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, and President Biden had a joint meeting to talk about crime in New York. Um, This is this is you know two you know a mayor of the one of the most important cities in in uh, in the United States, not North America, and the president of the United States. Where is our mayor? Where is our city council to talk okay. about
1: this? Okay. Speaking about arresting and prosecuting violent criminals that you you discussed there, I mean I did talk to Steve Addison from the VPD about that this week, and he said, you know, some of the incidents they've seen this week. He complimented citizens on phoning these cases in immediately and quickly, and then police can be deployed and they and they can sometimes catch a suspect. Now he says that has happened in a, in a few cases this week. They've arrested people for shoplifting, in some cases brandishing weapons, and those people will be facing charges. Are, are you saying that you know your concern is okay? They arrest sometimes. They arrest these guys, and then they end up what quickly back on the street to do cause more mayhem.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's exactly what happens with the police. Some of the police that, uh, that I've spoken to is just this big, big circle. And yeah. uh, it, needs to, it needs to be addressed by all levels. And what I get from when I speak to certain councillors is just a lot of finger pointing. And uh, that's just not good enough. Uh, you know, people don't want to go downtown. People are afraid to go out. And that's not what a vibrant city is all right. about. And uh, we have to address it. We have to take care of it and quickly.
1: Speaking of Davy Street business owner, John Clarides. speaking of Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart, John, you mentioned him a couple of times, and the mayor has made the case that the city is safe. When he walks the street, he doesn't worry. He feels fine. Let me play a clip here for you from the mayor and then get your thoughts. So here's Kennedy Stewart on that.
2: My goal is that everybody feels safe in this city. That is my absolute goal. You know, if one person feels unsafe, that's, that's one too many. Now, I, I understand that for a lot of people the city does feel safe but for many others it doesn't and making people feel safe comes in different forms uh and that i'm working on all three all of those in terms of trying to reach my goal of everybody feeling safe in the city
1: okay kennedy stewart he had earlier said as well john for your thoughts that when he walks all around the streets of the city he he feels safe and I, I did get some emails from listeners saying, "Well, you know, if you're a, an able-bodied, healthy man walking down the street, you're, you're maybe you're less likely to be targeted. Often, these thugs will they'll target people who are more vulnerable. They'll go after women, or they'll go after people who are more vulnerable, who can't defend themselves." But your thoughts?
4: Exactly. You know, look, we saw the lady that was picked up and you know assaulted on in front of the hotel, Georgia. Yeah. Um, people people are right. You know that the. The people that have committed these crimes are not going to go after a six-foot-one, 210-pound guy. They're going to yeah. find the weakest common deno- common denominator, and that's, sadly, women. You know, they're five-foot, five-foot-one, 120 pounds. What are they going to do? Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. what they do. They pick on the weakest.
1: It's, okay, it's John. State. All right. Welcome back. Talking to John Clarides on crime in the city. Lots of phone calls here. Ken in South Surrey. Hi, Ken. Go ahead.
2: I avoid going to Vancouver, that the city has become disgusting. I went downtown last year. My doctor's office is across from St. Paul's, and I had an appointment. I walked down Granville Street, went into McDonald's for a coffee, and there's a guy sitting there with his socks and shoes off injecting it. Into his was and everybody seemed to think, oh, it's kind of normal. And then two <laughs> years ago, uh, two guys tried to mug me and my girlfriend down in gas down. Wow, uh, that didn't go well for them because I've been practicing martial arts for twenty years. So I broke oh, right. what, hat- ha- what happened? What did the the... other guy's nose? You you broke a
1: guy's nose, and I
2: broke the other guy's wrist. It was all over wow. in about three seconds, and I don't need Gee. that. I don't want. To, I don't want to have to, to go to a place where I've got to use martial arts skills to defend myself. That's you think ridiculous. It's, you think it's getting worse? Yes, it's. Yeah. And, and you know what? There's nothing that's going to change. It seems to be that we as a society to put up with these junkies and crackheads and, and and shoplifting and it happened in seattle and it got so bad in seattle there's a lot of areas in seattle that are even worse than vancouver but yeah,
1: there's, I, I don't there's see a lot
2: anything of, changing
1: thanks for the call i mean there's a lot of trouble in seattle there's a lot of trouble in san francisco portland and it seems to be consistent in a lot of cities on the west coast north america minnie in Town. hi
4: yes hi mike thanks hi. for your show um, i've lived in yale going on 15 years and i just think it's atrocious what's happening to our beautiful city it brings me to tears my husband and i are thinking of moving out um the homeless situation is out of control and they're getting more aggressive uh more confrontational they have dogs that are out of control I, the last caller said he won't go to vancouver and walk on gravel street i won't walk on gravel street anymore my girlfriend got spit in the face during covid um nothing was done about it of course what can the cops do it's just it's appalling and this mayor needs to wake up he lives in yale town he lives close to where we live and mm. he knows what's going on
1: okay minnie thank you for that call thank john you. is thank you. thank you for calling john is that a familiar story you're hearing there
4: uh, absolutely and, and uh, uh the way to go the first caller way to go um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know listen I, years ago it happened to me i was Confronted by uh, an individual. So I ended up taking martial arts for four years. Wow. So, you know, I, I, I understand that. Just let me give you qu- one example. Sure. The old Howard Johnson Hotel on Granville Street. Yeah. Last year, 960 police calls. Wow. 960. Wow. And when they went and arrest, when they go and arrest people for shoplifting, where do you live? Howard Johnson? So the the city has enabled this. They've concentrated this in the downtown core instead of spreading it out. Um, We've made it a destination place um, for for crime and for for drugs, and we're paying. You know, normal citizens are paying the price. Okay. This lady wants to move out. You know, she's probably just the tip of the iceberg.
1: Let's fit in some more calls here. Alex and Langley. Hi, Alex. Go ahead.
4: Hey, uh, great show, Mike.
0: you know, the problem is the, we're not dealing with people here. We're dealing with animals. And animals that cause well, chaos and harm in the community get put down. And that's what needs to happen with these people.
1: What, what do you mean put down? Problem. What are you, you going to do to them? What are you going to do? Get rid, rid of them. Get rid of What do you mean get rid of them?
0: Well, how, Whatever means
3: is taken.
1: Well, I mean, look, human, yeah. beings, are, look, human beings are human. I'm not going to call any, a human being an animal. What I will say is that I think there's a lot of violence on the street. I think the system is ineffective right now, and a lot of it is driven, but John, for your thoughts, I mean, a lot of it is driven by mental illness, drug addiction, yeah. or both, and I've talked to a lot of cops who say, you know, they'll pick up someone who's obviously in some sort of psychotic episode, obviously needs mental health help and an intervention, and they'll take them to get assessed by a doctor, and then guess what? There's no place to put them. There's no bed. There's no that, treatment, so they're back out in the street.
4: Your thoughts? That. That's the problem, absolutely. First of all, people with mental illness, people with drug addiction, we've got to take care of them. Well, yeah. Somehow. So, somehow we have to take care of them. Um, our consultation says, you know, you can't hold someone for more than 48 hours, and you need two doctors to sign off if you're going to commit them, if, 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 that, is, if that is the case. So we've got to address this, and we need, I, I've spoken about San Patriano, while that is not necessarily yeah. for mental issues, as people with drug issues. We need something like that here that's not run by the government. Okay. Um, we need shelter first, personal health plan, get off drugs, get an apartment.
1: Let's go to Charles, um, on, the, Charles on the line in Vancouver. Go ahead, Charles. You've just got a minute left here.
4: Oh, uh, Hi, Mike. Yeah.
0: um well i have my wife and my family and my daughter my daughter has a mental disability i would not allow her to uh, to take a bus and we do live in strathcona and, and and i do work in chinatown but you know um i i can't leave my daughter and she's 30 years old at a bus stop without being sexually harassed or oh. almost assaulted like this is this is this is crazy And my wife i will not allow her to take transit, even though she works downtown, I will drive them if I have to take time off yeah. work, lock the shop up, and drive them downtown. This is this is not a free city anymore.
1: Okay, Charles, thank you for the call. Thirty seconds, John, go ahead.
4: Yeah, that's unacceptable. Again, they're either uh, they're preying on the most vulnerable. Your daughter—that's just that's uh, my heart. My heart goes out for her. you. You got to take care of her. Um, you okay. know, I, I I go out city hall to city council. We've got to take care of this in in a in a. Uh, uh, quick quick manner otherwise it's we're going to go down the road of seattle Portland, and, and san francisco and john, it's not thank, going to
1: be good john thanks for coming on today
4: thanks mike thanks for
1: Our, all right welcome back to the show here we go now with surging home prices in metro vancouver and beyond we continue to see skyrocketing prices for real estate even in the pockets of the lower mainland that used to be considered quote unquote affordable, like the Fraser Valley, where prices have gone through the roof over the past year. Governments at all levels have taken steps to try and cool off this housing market, stabilize prices, doesn't seem to be working. What about this? A hike in interest rates. Could that cool this market off and bring prices down? Peter Routledge, Canada's Superintendent of Financial Institutions. So that could be the result. If the Bank of Canada raises its benchmark interest rate, he thinks that could bring prices down by 20%. Have a listen to this now. Tiff Macklin, Bank of Canada governor, saying interest rates are on the way. Have a listen. Our approach to monetary policy throughout the pandemic has been deliberate and we were mindful of the rapid spread of Omicron
0: and the fact that it will dampen spending in the first quarter. So we decided to keep our policy rate unchanged today, to remove our commitment to hold it at its floor, and to signal that rates can be expected to increase going forward. As we indicated in our press release this morning, The timing and pace of those increases will be guided by the bank's commitment to achieving the 2% inflation target.
1: Okay, so very clearly indicating that interest rates are set to rise in the days ahead. How could that affect housing prices? Could we see a decline in prices when interest rates go up for getting a mortgage? Let's discuss now with my guest, CKNW financial analyst, Michael Levy. I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hey, Michael.
5: Hey, morning, Mike.
1: Yeah, Thanks a lot for coming on, Michael. When is the Bank of Canada uh, expected to uh, raise interest rates? Do we have any idea when that might happen?
5: Oh, yeah. I think it's a pretty well a slam dunk, Mike. Probably. uh, I I believe the date's March 17th when the Bank of Canada meets again to discuss interest rates and let us know what they're going to do. And uh, you can expect the same thing is going to happen, quarter point raise, but it's probably going to happen three or four times this year. They've indicated in every which way that they're going to bring the interest rates up, and that's to quell or try to quell the, you know, the, the, the inflationary spiral that we're in right now. And uh, yeah. the way the Bank of Canada does it, their tool in their toolbox is raising interest rates okay
1: why are rates going up so that's why the bank would do it to put a put the brakes on inflation would that be the primary goal
5: that is absolutely the primary goal they did not realize uh the move in inflation the the the, the Uh, velocity of the move higher in inflation. Last fall, the Bank of Canada and the U.S. Federal Reserve were talking of raising interest rates at the end of 2022 into 2023. Well, both have done a complete U-turn because inflation is rising so much, 4.8 percent Uh, at the end of the year in Canada, and over 6% in the U.S., and uh, that just takes such a a huge bite out of um, the the spending ability and the affordability for uh, citizens of both countries, but Canada particularly, so raising interest rates is going to bite into inflation because when things cost more, people spend less, and the demand then lessens
1: right we heard from the bank of canada governor they're talking about the interest rates and currently keeping those interest rates at that rock bottom level but clearly indicating that rates are going to rise in the future you were mentioning about march that we might see an interest rate height why is the bank waiting until march to do this
5: uh, that that's a really good question mike because they wanted to do it earlier but they were afraid of the impact of the omicron variant on business and the economy going through November, December into January. And they didn't want to preemptively raise the interest rates until they saw what impact Omicron was going to have. If it had a huge uh, negative impact on the economy, they wouldn't be raising rates. But as we all know, we're coming out of Omicron. The economy is good, the economy is strong, and that gives the Bank of Canada license now to start to act.
1: All right. Speaking to CKNW financial analyst Michael Levy about looming hikes in the interest rate, if the Bank of Canada raises that benchmark rate in the months ahead, here, Michael, then are the are the chartered banks required to follow suit? Or they just typically do every time?
5: Oh, they typically do, and yeah. uh, uh, be, because the cost of money is more, uh, they they base the cost of money on what the five-year government bond rate is doing and government bonds are going up that means their cost of money is going up when their cost of money goes up, they raise the interest rates, not only the prime rate, mortgage rates, which have already started to increase, though we haven't seen any big benchmark uh, raise in the mortgage rates. But I can tell you they're going up a tenth or a quarter. i ju- just give you an idea of uh, what's going on there. Um, in October, you could get a five-year fixed, uh, October of last year, a fixed uh, mortgage rate. Uh, with some lenders, for 2.19%. Today, the big five are anywhere between 2.94% and 3.19%, and we haven't yet had an official hike of interest rates by the Canadian or, or, or by the Bank of Canada, but that's just their cost of money going up with people anticipating, with traders anticipating that the rates are going to go up and the bond market showing higher yields, in other words, people are, are uh, or, or, the, or the, the, the actual raise in interest rates is happening because of the impact of the bond market. Okay. I really want to get your
1: take on the cost of a mortgage and how that could potentially impact this housing market. But let me ask you this, Michael, like the Bank of Canada is signaling that the interest rate will go up as a result of concerns around inflation. What did you say the inflation rate in Canada is right now?
5: Uh, About 4.8%, Mike, and uh, it's going to continue because we are comparing to a year ago. So if I tell you that the inflation rate was 4.8% higher year over year in December, you've got to remember that December 2021, we were in the midst of the Delta variant. So uh, you're comparing against a much lower rate a year ago. So when it goes up 4.8%, it's coming off or it's going up in comparison to when nothing was going up because our economy was faltering a little bit and we were in the middle of the Delta variant. So that has now changed.
1: Okay. Is inflation kind of a global phenomenon right now? Like we've heard the, the official opposition conservatives in Ottawa try to pin inflation on the Trudeau liberal government, calling it just inflation. It's the government's fault. The liberals will turn around and say no no hang on a sec this is going on all around the world inflation's happening everywhere I- is that true like when we compare Canada to the United States right now, are we about the same inflation rate or?
5: No, we we're a couple of percent under them. Wow. Inflation is is rampant. It, it, it's rampant worldwide. Mike, yeah. I'll, I'll just go sideways here for a minute. Sure. Uh, let's just take the price of oil and the price of gasoline. Uh, oil prices this morning are up around $94 a barrel. Mike, that that's up like 35 or $40 in the last five months. Go to the gas station and see gas at $1.72 a liter. Heating oil is up. In other words, that's a real inflationary pressure. And uh, uh, I've got to say supply chain. When you go into some stores and you don't see goods on the shelves, well, that's your supply chain. Well, when you have less of a supply and the same number of people wanting the goods, whether it be groceries or whatever, then you're going to have inflation because the demand is there. The products aren't there to satisfy the All right. demand.
1: All right. Speaking to CKNW financial analyst Michael Levy about inflation in Canada, interest rates set to rise. Okay, Michael, the, the big one that a lot of people are wondering about is the mortgage. What will be the interest rate on my mortgage and how could this impact an unaffordable housing market here in Metro Vancouver. It was fascinating to hear Peter Routledge, Canada's Superintendent of Financial Institutions, getting a lot of attention for his comments with his analysis that if interest rates go up, you could see a dramatic reduction in home prices. He predicted home prices could come down as much as 20%, which is extraordinary thing to ponder. Do you agree with that analysis? Could Could home prices come down?
5: Oh sure, uh, yeah. you could see a fall of anywhere between 10 and 20 uh, wow. percent. But you know what, Mike? Uh, you know, and it sounds like a lot because it is a lot. Uh, but in Toronto and Vancouver, between 2015 and 2017, we had the same thing. We can absorb that volatility. This is a market that should correct should is a very strong word but should and will correct i mean we we have uh, uh troughs or valleys and we have peaks but the market continues to co- continues to come back um the big problem with housing is the slowdown in new housing construction and that's a trend that began in the 1970s. If there was more supply on the market, Mike, then we would not see this significant bump up in prices. I can give you examples. I'm not sure. in the real estate business, but I can give you examples yeah. of houses that I know that friends or family have. There's a house in South Surrey that I know well that cost $1.14 million to build four years ago. The value in November was 1.45 million. That same house sold two weeks ago for 1.8 million with eight people making bids on the house, no conditions at all, they just wanted to buy. So that's what's going on, but a huge part of that, which no government wants to tackle, is the supply problem, whether it's city, civic, or whether it's provincial, or whether it's federal. It's supply, and they are making it more difficult for the average Canadian to own a house because they're not going about increasing the supply in any significant manner.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Michael. I think we need to build more stuff that people can actually afford to buy. Michael, thank you very much for coming on today with your analysis.
5: Pleasure to talk to you, Mike, again.
1: All right, let's talk about Canada's looming single-use plastic ban now. The Justin Trudeau government now out with those regulations to ban six kinds of single-use plastic items. Straws and stir sticks, six-pack rings, grocery bags, plastic cutlery and difficult to recycle takeout containers those rules expected to kick in later this year meanwhile municipal governments in canada taking action to ban and phase out some single-use items including notoriously in the city of vancouver that 25-cent disposable cup fee remember how that kicked in a few weeks ago did not last long before city council decided to do a rethink on it. That 25-cent cup fee now under review. Have a listen to this report now from Global News reporter Andrea McPherson. The plastic cup controversies back up for review at Vancouver City Hall less than a month after coffee shops and other businesses were forced to start charging 25 cents for disposable cups and 15 cents for paper bags as the new bylaws came into effect. This was not part of the agenda on Tuesday, but council was unanimous in calling on staff to take a
4: second look at this. Particularly around equity issues, um, tech delivery app, uh, incongruencies, um Uh, loopholes that people are sort of getting around so they don't have to pay the fee and just general effectiveness of the actual um, bylaw.
1: Okay. They worked on this thing for like four years and apparently didn't realize that, yeah, if you start charging poor people 25 cents for a cup, it could be a hardship for them. There could be loopholes that people will use to not pay the fee. Maybe some merchants would lower the price of a cup of coffee by a quarter. So they're not passing this fee on to their customers. Yeah, they didn't figure that out. They didn't expect that would happen. So yeah, after four years of planning on this, they got to start over. They're doing a rethink on it. Now, Vancouver City Council saying, you know, they don't want to cancel this. They want to fix it and bring it back. All right. Let's discuss now with my guest, David Clement, North American Affairs Manager for the Consumer Choice Center. David, thank you for coming on today. Thank you very much for having me. So, what what do you guys do over there at the Consumer Choice Center? You 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 think consumers should have the choice to have a have a plastic cup if they want? Is that right?
3: Well, we do, we do. I mean, that's ultimately a decision between businesses and consumers. But it's a lot more nuanced than that, especially when we look at the environmental impact uh, of alternatives. And I say that because I think both our federal government, some provincial governments, and in this case, a uh, city government, really have the horse blinders on in their crusade against plastic products, despite the fact that the evidence isn't necessarily on their side as to whether alternatives are better.
1: Okay, well, let's talk about a few of those. So, for example, banning single-use plastic items, would you see a move in Canada to do that? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people may have seen... You know, photos of plastic straws in the ocean damaging, hurting wildlife and that kind of thing, yep. or or floating islands of plastic in the ocean saying, yeah, ban that stuff. This is terrible.
3: Oh, I mean, I totally understand that reaction. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I believe it's probably well over 90, maybe 95 percent of all plastic waste. Uh, in the oceans comes from 10 source rivers, mostly in the developing world, um, which is really just a poverty problem. They don't have the infrastructure to deal with this. And so we're trying to correct an issue domestically while the cause of the issue is abroad. And it's the same thing if you look at where most of this plastic comes from. Most of it's uh, discarded fishing equipment. Again, there's a strong link to the developing world. We're talking about people in poverty. So it may make us feel good. Like we're doing something positive for the environment, but that's not necessarily the case. I mean, I use the example of plastic bags quite often uh, in order. And this is according to Denmark's environment ministry, when they broke down how, how environmentally friendly it's everything you can use essentially at a grocery store to take your groceries home. And, A paper bag needs to be reused 43 times in order to be as environmentally advantageous as a single-use plastic bag. And a cotton bag has to be used 7,100 times, which is about 130-plus years of weekly grocery trips. Um, And so the information or the, the data does not support from an environmental lens, does not support this push away from plastic. Of course, we need to deal with whatever plastic waste we do contribute. And I would argue we should drastically expand uh, our recycling programs and also rethink how we look at recycling. But yeah, it's it's just a mess all around.
1: So what you're telling me plastic is actually better for the environment? If we look
3: at it, so what Denmark did is they took about 10 or 12 environmental benchmarks, which includes impact on the ocean, soil acidification, it was a pretty comprehensive analysis. And that was the conclusion that they came up with. Um, One, because these single-use bags can be reused as garbage bags, which a lot of people do. Um, And there are other alternatives for disposal that don't involve just throwing it in the dump.
1: Okay, let's talk about the uh, the $0.25 cent disposable cup fee in Vancouver mm-hmm. that has caused so much controversy, including this fee on plastic cups. So the way this program is supposed to work is that all the shops in Vancouver that would sell you a drink in a disposable cup required to charge a $0.25 cent fee, the money mm-hmm. would be kept by the business, and hopefully they would use it to... I don't know, buy dishwashers or something to move to non-disposable cups for their customers. This has caused it's caused a backlash in the city. There's been lots of problems with it. What do you think about that, just generally speaking, about putting some sort of a fee on a disposable cup?
3: Well, it just feels like a really uncomfortable shifting of the goalposts. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just good enough that we were going to ban plastic if we look at the fee on paper bags. Now we're going to hit you with a fee on that. And I mean, 25 cents per cup and 15 cents per bag may not sound like a lot, um, depending on where you land uh, in regards to your socioeconomic status. But it's important that we don't forget the people whom this would impact. I mean, uh, the average, uh, like the standard fast food burger combo is around $11. So you add 40 cents onto that for the bag and the cup, that's 3.5% increase in the total price. And that's on top of the food inflation that Canadians are already experiencing, which are at record highs. There's a lot of economic uncertainty. It just feels very tone deaf. Um, And in my opinion, it largely ignores that there are um, technological advancements in regards to how how we can dispose collectively of these single-use plastics in ways that don't Im- involve them ending up in the environment or ending up in a landfill.
1: Okay, so you're saying what? Expand recycling instead?
3: Yes, but not just the standard version of recycling. I'm talking about what's called chemical depolarization. What's essentially what this is is it's restructuring the bonds in the plastic and reusing that essentially for almost everything: resin pellets, tiles for your floor. There's a community in asphalt who's infusing them into, uh, a community in, in Alberta who's infusing them into asphalt to create more durable roads. They're essentially extending the life of these otherwise disposed plastics almost indefinitely. And there are all sorts of very innovative examples from Canada and around the world where, with the right incentives, folks are taking this problematic plastic waste and repurposing it extending its its uh its lifespan and that is good that's a good thing that's great for the environment it's great for the economy
1: all right welcome back to the show as we continue talking about banning plastics my guest david clement consumer choice center let's go to your calls paulo in surrey hi
3: hello
1: hi go ahead
4: yeah. Hi. Okay. My comment on this is uh, I, I understand the the impact on environments with plastics and whatnot, and we can do more. And I totally agree with you that it's coming maybe from underdeveloped countries. Um, I want to I, I want to know from the federal government that it plans to implement this. Um, how are they going to like navigate through the fact that like if we're talking about single use products. A COVID test is a single-use product made of plastic. Are they going to like? How are they going to handle that?
1: Okay, I think those are exempted. But David, you would know.
3: Yeah, yeah, they are exempted. But it does further highlight the importance of single-use plastics in certain instances. But I will say the, the 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 heaviest level of irony in the draft regulations on plastics allow for them to be produced here for export. Yes, so we can create them. We can send them to these countries whom we know don't have the infrastructure to retrieve them and they end up in the oceans. And so it, it just is completely blind from a from an environmental standpoint, even from a plastic waste standpoint.
1: So we could so Canadian companies would be allowed to continue to manufacture millions of six pack rings and straws and stir sticks, but only if they're exported out of the country.
3: Yes, is that, a, that is my understanding. Okay, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that is that is somewhat bizarre. Um, Pete in Vancouver. Hi, Pete, what do you think?
2: Hi. I think uh, overall it's good to have less plastic in the ocean if you want to eat fish and not eat the plastic in your fish and go in your bloodstream. But what's happened is the city of Vancouver has incompetently rolled out this and, and I'm focusing on the plastic bags. You used to be able to get plastic bags from grocery stores and then you'd reuse them as garbage bags. And yeah. so now there's very few um, compostable, environmentally friendly bags. The city hasn't done uh, a plan on this, they haven't worked with uh, companies to sort of provide this to explain to consumers a different type. So please warn the mayors in the other cities learn from the, the incompetent rollout of this. Make it easier for citizens to do the right thing. Provide us with the bag or list of companies. What's the differentiation? Okay. How can we do the right thing easier?
1: David Clement, your thoughts?
3: I mean, it's a, it's a very good point. I can use it. It's an anecdotal example, but it's from, from my own life. A restaurant locally to me who I order from quite frequently made the switch over to cloth bags for takeout and We've been supporting local businesses throughout the pandemic, and we've maybe gotten delivery from them 10 or 12 times. And so I have 10 or 12 cloth bags, each of which I will never use 7,100 times in order to be equal to that plastic bag, which I would have
1: reused as a garbage bag.
3: Um, And so the caller certainly has a very good point in regards to the, the lack of clarity here.
1: Catherine in White Rock. Hi, Catherine. What do you think?
4: Hi, Mike. I, I just don't understand why there, we didn't have plastic before the war, and everybody was fine. I remember when it came out. I'm that old. Now, why don't we just stop making plastic instead of this going on and on and on? It doesn't make any sense to me, but I guess I'm misunderstanding
1: something. Okay, why not just get rid of it? Just ban it. David?
3: Yeah, the The answer is that would be much worse for the environment. If you look at something like baby food, Baby food in a glass jar is 33% worse for the environment than a plastic jar. And the reason is it's thicker, it's heavier, it's harder to transport, it requires far more energy for that to be created. And so plastic as an alternative post-World War II uh, was about economic efficiency, it was about reducing costs, and it just so happened that in many instances, it it reduced emissions and reduced the amount of energy needed to produce it. And so we have to have a nuanced conversation about, yes, we want to limit plastic waste. We certainly don't want it in the environment at all. But that
1: doesn't mean that the use of plastic doesn't have its benefits. Okay, Eric in New West. Hi, Eric, what do you think?
3: Well, a couple of your callers, Mike, have
2: sort of touched on what I want to talk about, and that's the the reusable plastic bags, your guest David there has, has already said, You know, the chances are you do reuse that, but even if you don't reuse it, the amount of material that went into making it in the first place and how it got into your hands as the end user is way less environmentally damaging than the reusable bags, which, by the way, I'm in the junk removal business, and invariably when I clean out somebody's house, end of life, or when they move, they've got a bag full of reusable bags that they're never going to use again, and those end up going in the garbage because they're not compostable. They're not recyclable. So if I think something like the city of Vancouver is going to say, you must use something other than a one-use bag, then you must make it completely recyclable or compostable instead of the plastic bag.
1: Okay, just got a minute left. David, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the thing
3: is, most people don't realize
1: is that most of
3: those plastics, if we uh, rethink the way we look at recycling, are recyclable. There's a company in Chile who turns these problematic plastics into a wood alternative, and they use them for chairs and decks and all sorts of really great things. Um, And so it's just about how you view this and how you approach it. Um, And unfortunately, most local legislators just, I, I don't think they have the imagination for it or the initiative for it.
1: Okay, we continue to follow the issue closely. Thanks for coming on with your perspective on it. I appreciate it.
3: Thank you very much.